0: To get us started this morning, I just need to say this: Don't go to church. You've heard it from a pastor. Don't, don't go to church. Now there are a lot of reasons why people do go to church. Um, some people are just kind of born into it. Their family was raised going to church, and they went to church, and they just never stopped. Other people. Kind of think that maybe if I go to church, that's how I'll find my ticket to heaven. If I go to church enough, then I get to skip the hot place. I get to just move right on to the good place. Sometimes they go to church because it's a matter of they think that's where the forgiveness of sin happens at church. Some people go to see friends or they go because that's where they want their friend circles to be for their children or for their family people who are involved and active in a church. Some of us go to church because it's our jobs, you know, some I, I, but I'm telling you today it's not about going to church. Don't go to church. In fact, I don't want you to go to church. That's a biblical truth. Here it is. Jesus never said go to church. Peter never said go to church. Paul Never said, never wrote it in any of his letters, go to church. You can search throughout the whole Bible. You will never find it anywhere. You don't see anyone talking about going to church. You never heard Peter say, hey, John, 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 John. Um, After church, we're going to head north to Craig's and get some barbecue. Didn't see it. You didn't see Paul talking to Timothy and say, hey, listen, after church, let's go watch the football game. You didn't see it. They couldn't go to church because they were the church. When you hear the word church, so often we have a tendency to think about a building. You know, like here's the church and here's the steeple, open it up. And there are all the fingers, people. We tend to think of a facility or a building. Or sometimes, maybe best case scenario, we might have a a tendency to think that church is an event. Something that happens for about an hour or so on Sunday and we attend church. We attend this event. Maybe we think of church more like an organization or a class. You see, when Jesus said, I will build my church, Jesus, the former carpenter, now teacher, was not referring to a building. He wasn't referring to a structure. He wasn't even referring to an organization Jesus was talking about a group of people united by a common identity and a common mission. A common experience that uh, this relationship to Jesus that they all shared and it gave them a common purpose and that purpose was to help other people around them find and discover this very same relationship that they had. Even when the writers of the book of Hebrews advises the people, he says this, don't give up meeting together. He never uses the word church. So this weekend, beginning right now, being, I want you to stop going to church and start being the church. We have a tendency to relate to church kind of like consumers Um, We come here to get good teaching, we hope. We come here to get good music all the time. We come here to get inspired and to be encouraged. We want to go to church to be around friends, people who are moving in the same direction that we want to move. We come here for good events with our children, good events for the kids. We come here maybe to get some helpful resources for ourselves, some spiritual growth for ourselves. And sometimes, sometimes we even get some really good food. That's what we see as church. And most Christians embrace Jesus... As a label, but not as Lord. Jesus has chosen us not to sit in these seats and to consume, but he's chosen us to go on a mission, an adventure with him. Now, the last command that he gave his disciples, his followers, was this. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. He said, I want you to go. He didn't say, I want you to come here. He didn't say, I I want you to come and see what the church can do for you. Come and see what the church can teach you, what they can give you. Come and consume. He didn't say, come and sit down. He didn't even say this. He didn't say, come and learn. But he said, come and go. And you know what? His disciples, his followers actually believed him when he said that. And they did it. That's exactly what they did. After the resurrection, so Jesus, he died on the cross, he was put in the tomb, he was resurrected back to life, not as a ghost, as a real human being. He was resurrected and Jesus shows up and he, he eats, has meals with his, some of his followers and disciples. He has conversations with them, with lots of different people. And right before he left this earth to go with where he is now, with the Father in heaven, right before he did that, he said this. He assured his followers that he would come back. He assured his followers, he says, but before I come back, first, I have an important mission that I want you to be part of I have something I want you to do. And I need you to complete this mission before I come back. You know what he said? He said, I want you to take my message to all of Jerusalem. And not just there, all of Judea. And then go even further, go out to Samaria, and then go further. He said, I want you to take it to the very ends of the earth. And so his followers, after Jesus left, they returned to Jerusalem and did what Jesus says, and they waited there for the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised he was going to send them. And there, while they were waiting, they prayed, they were waiting together, and the day that Jesus had promised finally came, and the Holy Spirit, this was God's Spirit, came to that place, overwhelmed them as Jesus said he would do, filled them as Jesus said he would do and has been doing ever since then, and he empowered them. He empowered them to complete the mission that Jesus sent them off to do. After the Holy Spirit came, they were different people. I mean, this once cowardly Peter now stood and he preached boldly in one language, his language. There were thousands and thousands of people there. Peter stood up and preached in his language. But do you know all of those thousands that were there, whatever language they spoke, that's what they heard Peter speaking, even though he was speaking his language. Oh, it was amazing that happened. And you know what happened that day? 3,000 people became part of the church, not part of a building, not part of an organization. They became part of this living thing called the church that day, 3,000. It continued to grow and spread. Philip went to this place, Samaria, It began to spread. Peter went to the house of this man named Cornelius. And the gospel spread even further to people who were not Jewish. This was new. They had a different nationality. A different religious background. You see, it was clear that this message that Jesus had that was going out, it it went way past A person's race. It went way past a person's culture and background, their ethnicity, way past their religious views that they grew up with. This story of Jesus that God was writing, his story was for everyone, and get this everyone could play a part. Paul took this story and he spread it all across Asia Minor. And then he crossed this great channel, and he met with a woman from Philippi. And there, the gospel, uh, this message of Christ began to spread all across Europe. This was happening. It was moving towards the ends of the earth. Here's what we learned. God's story, it is for all people everywhere. And he's going to use his people to spread His story. Jesus. Is actually going to use. His people to help fix. This broken creation. So God gives this promise. To uh, Abram. This one man. One family. And he says I'm going to bless. All of the nations of the entire world. Through your family. And so he raises up a nation. Called Israel. Out of the family of Abraham. And it is this family, this family through through whom he would send, God would send Jesus. Salvation would be purchased on the cross by Jesus for all of the people. And he was restored. He was going to use to himself. And guess what? He was going to use the church now. To continue to accomplish this, here's what happened He cared for His creation. He was going to bless the world. And He was going to use the church to do it. You know what? We're actually in charge of caring for God's creation, we're actually in charge of, as the church, blessing the world. We're actually in charge now as the church of spreading this message that God has put us on. We're actually charged as the church with now embodying, being the life of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the hope of Jesus. What? What an honor. What an honor that Jesus has chosen us to fulfill his mission that he started to continue where he left off and he did not he did not die so that we could be good and so that we could go to church he didn't die and save us so that we could find safety and refuge inside of a building Where the church just happens to meet once a week. He saved us to be the church. To be his people. To be his family. To be his body for him right here on this earth in his creation. You see, Jesus, his body is not here anymore. It's with God the Father in heaven. So he left us here. And ask us to be that body here. He saved us so that we could play a very significant role now in establishing the kingdom of Jesus here on this earth. He saved us so we could go on an adventure with him right here. Now, in the New Testament, as we talk about this thing called the church, the New Testament, we get a number of, of visual pictures that, that Jesus uses to describe what the church is like. Some of these are relational. They deal with relationships, like he's including us in the body of Christ, and like we are included in the family of God. All these are relational. He calls us as the church the bride of Christ. That's relational, a royal priesthood, part of the priesthood. It's all relationship. But there's also some pictures that kind of deal with with agriculture and crops and farming. Like he calls us branches on the vine. He, he calls the church, he compares it to an olive tree at one time. And he, he says it's like we are these fields, uh, these crops that are inside these fields. But we're going to unpack, just talk very briefly about a couple of these, a few of these pictures that God uses to describe the church, to give us an idea of the story that we have been asked to play a role in as God is writing his story. One of the pictures we see is the picture of the family. God says we are part of God's family. And listen to the way that our relationship with God is described in Second Corinthians chapter 6. Listen to this. He says, I will be a father to you he says. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So God says, I want you to see yourselves, if you've surrendered your life to me, see yourselves as my sons and my daughters. He goes on in John chapter 1. Listen to this. But all who believed him, that's Jesus, and accepted him, that's Jesus, he, that's Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. So God says, I want you to see yourselves as my children. You are my sons and you're my daughters. If you have surrendered, submitted your lives to me, you're my children, sons, and daughters. He goes on, gives us another idea of this. Romans chapter 8, for all who are led by the Spirit, that is God's Spirit, the very same Spirit that came we just talked about and great things, amazing things, that Spirit, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. That means you've submitted your life to God. God has placed His Spirit inside your life, and He says, you are my child. So, you have not received a spirit that makes us fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit. When when did you receive God's spirit? When did this happen? When he adopted you as his own children. You were not part of the family of God. I was not part of the family of God. And I said, okay, God, you can have this life. This life is yours. I give it to you. And you know what happened? He immediately, instantly, without reservation, hesitation, he adopts you. Immediately, you're part of his family. You are his child. You are his daughter. You are his son. You are adopted. And he places his spirit in you. He goes on. Now, because we've been adopted, now we call him Abba Father. And literally, that means... Daddy, daddy. Now we can refer to God as daddy. Daddy, daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. He adopts you, part of the family. Now here's a question. How how does this change the way that we view ourselves, the way we view God, the way we recognize that we are the sons of The daughters, the children of the king. I think we all have this desire to know that that there's really something important going on in our lives. That we are a part of something really important. And we are. And this should radically change our perspective. All of us. We long, we long to know there is more to our lives than what meets our eyes. Just think about this. I mean, we long for this to happen. Think about the stories of our culture, especially in the United States and in in the Western world. Think about these stories. The stepdaughter who sits along at, at home having to do all the cleaning, missing all the parties, but she's really a princess. There's more than meets the eye. We long for that. There's the neglected kid who lives under the stairs in this little cubby hole. And his whole family... Mocks him and ridicule. And this this is kind of an extended family. They mock him and they ridicule him because he's weird. He's not like them, but he happens to be chosen to be the most powerful wizard and to bring things back to order. We love those stories. There's that story of the teenage boy who lives in this outlying, dirty planet. But he happens to be really good at putting uh, uh, robots and those kind of bot things together, androids and stuff. But it turns out he's actually the chosen one to restore all the balance to the Force. We love those stories because they're significant. We love those stories because they reflect that we long, we long to be involved in something more. We long to think that there is more to me than what I have experienced so far. There is more to my life than what I have seen. There's more to me than what other people see of me. And those stories are just shadows of the reality of what God has created you to experience my friends if you've submitted your life to jesus you have been adopted into god's family and you are now a son and you are a daughter of the king and that changes everything It changes everything about how we relate to God, about how we relate to other people, and how we relate to each other. It changes everything about how we understand our role that God has chosen us to play in His story. It changes everything. When we realize we're the sons and the daughters of God, when we realize that with that come certain privileges that we live with, we realize that God has marked us as His. He's called us as His. He's chosen us as His. He's sealed us as His. And guess what? He's also gifted you as His. And we also realize that being part of this new family, guess what? There are new family values that we've been asked to reflect in our lives. New family values like love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, things like this amazing word here that we hate, self-control. And God says these are family values and they're going to be part of your life. Knowing that we're the sons and the daughters of God, guess what? It makes us want to do life, to live life differently. Now for some of you, listen, I understand. I, 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 I've heard some of your stories. Some of you, this seems like a fairy tale. Because you have so many scars in your life that the concept of family is not appealing to you. Because your story is filled with tragedy, and it's filled with heartbreak, and it's filled with with you being broken. But if you've been with us from the very beginning of this series, then you know this. That family has not always been broken. It hasn't always been that way. In fact, God... Created Adam and Eve. And when he created them, this first family. He said this. It is very good. Because God created it perfect. But then sin entered into the world. And when it did, the family broke. When it broke. Disaster entered into the family. Hurt. Abuse. Abuse evil. It just broke the family, and it was a barrage beating the family down. But Jesus' death and resurrection restores relationships, and it gives each one of us the opportunity to be part of a new family, even if your family here on earth is labeled as dysfunctional. See if the image. Of God's family can help us understand. The role that we play in God's story. Then the next image I want to talk about. It's the body of Christ. And it can give us an understanding of how. We work. As a family to do what God has said. And ask for us to do this mission of God. Romans 12. Romans 12 tells us about this. It says, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. So he's calling you the body of Christ. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. And he goes on with some great descriptions here. He's saying that you are now, since Jesus is with God in heaven, you now are the living Breathing, active body of Christ here on this earth, his earth, his creation. You are the hands of Jesus. You are the feet of Jesus. We are now the physical expression of Jesus walking around on this earth today. As Paul wrote in the book of Romans, he says, Each one of us are created a little differently with different gifts and abilities and different personalities and different passions. You see, growing our relationship with Christ does not lead to conformity. There's only one thing we really share. We share Jesus, two things. We share Jesus and we share all of those family values we just talked about. But outside of that, we have different gifts and strengths and talents and abilities and passions You see, as we mature in our walking, talking, loving relationship with Jesus, we become more and more like that very unique, special person that God has created you to be. And then you're able to fulfill that very special, unique role that He created you to fulfill. It's a role that He has appointed to you to play in his great big story. Very cool. We're the body of Christ, and each one of us has work to do. See, we tend to elevate parts of the body. We tend to elevate the the heads, we elevate the mouths, we elevate the hands and the feet. We say these are the important parts. That's what I want to do. But just think with me for a moment. It's usually the unseen parts That are more critical. It's the unseen parts. That bring health and vitality. They bring. These seemingly tiny. Insignificant parts. It brings stability. It brings stamina. And energy and strength. And it's so important. And every single one of us. Has a role. To play. In that body. Maybe it's teaching our kiddos in 252. Maybe it's, it's, it's helping us as we worship. Maybe it's helping us as we prepare for a worship gathering. God has created you to be a significant part of the body. And guess what? There are even parts that God has for you that other people cannot play. It's for you. That's the body of Christ. So we have the family of God. And to help understand how we accomplish that mission, we have the the body of Christ. And there's another image we see for the church. And it's called the ambassador. An ambassador is somebody who acts as a representative. Uh, They're representing something or they're representing someone. And as a follower of Christ, people understand who Jesus is. And people around us understand how Jesus loves. Do you know how they understand who he is and how he loves? They understand that by watching how you and how I live. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. It says, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors. As though, he explains this further, as though we were making his appeal, the appeal of Jesus to all the world through us. You see, we we carry out the mission of Jesus to all the world around us. As far as the world goes, that's where we go. And we're taking his message of hope, his message of freedom, his message of healing and reconciliation and relationships to all of those around us. Here's a problem, though. We hear this phrase go and make disciples. And we get scared. We get terrified. Uh, The idea of sharing my faith with someone else. You say, that is intimidating. I could never do that. But this is good for us to remember. Listen to this. I, I don't personally know of anyone who has ever fallen in love with Jesus because they lost an argument with a Christian. I've never met them. They might exist, but I've never met them. Convincing people that the story of Jesus is real. It isn't so much about being a good debater or being a good presenter. It's not you presenting the proper facts in the proper order. It's not about you getting them the right information. We're not called to give persuasive arguments or conclusive evidence of the history and how it all worked together. That's not what we're called to do. You know what we're called to do? We're called to simply represent Jesus. Fall in love, that's it. When I want someone to fall in love with someone I love... I don't try to give them a persuasive speech. I don't try to tell that person that, listen, this person over here is worthy to be loved. They're worthy of your love. This person could benefit your life. If you'll just love this person, they will benefit your life. Here are all the benefits. Here are the pros and here are the cons. It makes perfect logical sense. You should love this person. I don't do that. If I want you To love this person. You know what I'm going to do? I'm probably going to tell you a story about this person. Because I've been around them. I've been living with them. I'm probably going to tell you a story of that person. Or sometimes I might take you to my Facebook page. And show you some pictures of this person. And tell you about this person. And what they mean to me. That's probably what I'm going to do. I am hoping that if you can see somehow a picture of this person the way I see this person, that you might love that person the way I love that person. That's what I'm hoping. Maybe, just maybe, that's more of what sharing our faith should look like. It's sharing our lives with these people inviting these people into the story and showing them the pictures of Jesus by the way we live our lives. Maybe that's what it's about. When we understand that we are sons and daughters of God, just maybe sharing our faith doesn't mean we're trying to sell them a religion or a new list of rules of do's and don'ts. When we live as the body of Christ, we're not trying to change the world around us by some kind of logical argument. No. We're just trying to give them a picture of what Jesus looks like. When we are His ambassadors, we realize we're not charged with trying to change anybody But rather, we're just simply charged with just trying to represent Jesus, reflect His personality, the way we live, reflect His purposes in the world around us by the way that we live. The Great Commission tells us this in Matthew 28. It says, this is Jesus speaking here, He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. To obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's a long time. That they are out there with people. Loving them. Representing Jesus among them. A long time. And you know what that means? Making disciples means that we are investing our lives in other people. And we're trying to just replicate the character of Jesus in our life. Replicate the ways of Jesus by the way that we live. Replicate the mission of Jesus based upon the priorities of our life as we live our life. Then, as we live that among people, we have an expectation that there will be some who will turn around and do the very same thing in the lives of other people. Our roles in this story, they're not about sitting in a chair and receiving. They're not even really about learning to do good and learning to be good. It's not about what we can do and get, what we can get and receive It's not about getting, it's all about going and playing your role in God's story, your role as a member of his family, as part of his body, as an ambassador. You see, the story began with a creator who created a good world and he created this good world to show just how good he really was. And guess what happened? We broke it. Which is why we find ourselves right now in a world of confusion. A world of disappointment. A world of terrorism. A world of anger and hurt. But God... Who is both the author of this story and God, who is the main character in this story? He did not, when we broke his his creation, he did not run away from us and say, I am done with this. No, he stayed and he made a promise I will begin a process to redeem my creation. And he chose this family. From all the families on the world, he chose this one family. He said, I will make a great nation out of you, this one family. That's what he told them. He chose this all the world through this one family. And he chose this family, this nation, to reveal his character of faithfulness. To reveal his character of goodness. No matter what that nation did, no matter what they did, God kept his promises. No matter how bad things got, God continued to complete his purposes. Through broken people just like me, through broken and hurting people just like you, through this broken nation that he was using to tell his story, through impossible circumstances, God continued to write his story. And then at the end of the Old Testament, God became silent. It was part of his plan. But he was silent for 400 years before the New Testament. And then suddenly, at just the right time, the Creator sent himself To his creation. Wrapped in the skin of his own creation. Subjected as a baby. As the baby Jesus. Subjected himself to the care of his own creation. For the purpose of fixing his creation. And winning it back with a relationship. His prized creation. Men and women. You and me. When Jesus was here, everybody thought, as he grew, and at the age of thirty three began his thirty began his public ministry, everyone thought that he was there to overthrow this oppressive Roman empire government, and that he would establish his own kingdom right there. He kept talking about why he was there, but their hopes and dreams were crushed when they watched Jesus. The Messiah hanging from a cross suspended between heaven and earth. They watched. They watched the one in whom they had believed. They watched him hanging on the cross and gasping for his last breath. They watched him die. But little did they know that he was actually in the process of crushing The head of the enemy once and for all. That was a great plot twist. God himself coming to die for his creation. But the greatest plot twist was still to come. Three days later Jesus would walk out of that grave. Having conquered sin and having conquered death forever. In one great moment, God reversed the irreversible. In that great moment, God fixed what was broken. God and man restored. Jesus provided redemption. He gave us life. He gave us hope. And Jesus gave us power. You know, the story could have ended right there. And it would have been the greatest story ever told a passionate story of a passionate god on a relentless pursuit of his people but it didn't end it wasn't over it was not quite finished there were still adventures to be written there were still stories to be told and guess what? That's where we find ourselves right now, this very moment. His family, his body, his ambassadors to the world and the communities around us, that is still being written today. You see, the Bible begins in Genesis with God. And the Bible ends at the book of Revelation, guess what? With God. But we, right now, this very moment, we find ourselves somewhere in the middle of this story. We know the author. And with how this all began, we understand who it began with. And that puts our lives into perspective now. Because we realize that we were created by someone bigger than us for a story much larger than our own. And we realize that He has not presented us with a list of rules to live by, but He has presented us with a calling to live for. And because of that, I want to end very practically I want to end this whole series because it leads to this moment. This series does not end with Jesus on the cross. This series does not even end with Jesus walking out of the tomb. This series ends with Jesus telling you, his family, his body, his ambassadors to go. Questions for us right now. Here's the first one. What are you living for? What are you living for? Are you reflecting God's personality in your life right now? Are you reflecting by the way you live, are you reflecting God's purposes in your life? What are you living for? Are you living your life like a son of God, like a a daughter of God? Are you living your life as a child of God? What are you living for? That's the first question. Here's the second. Where are you invested? Do you just go to church? Or are you living as the church? Are you inviting other people to be a part of this adventure with God with you? Who are you praying for right now and inviting them into this adventure alongside of you? Where are you invested in this story? Here's the third question Who are you serving? How are you using your gifts and your talents and your kindness and your skills to show Jesus to the world around you? How are you doing that? We encourage you at Stuggar Harvest Church to do this in three ways. Here's the first way. We encourage everyone, not just some of us, everyone, we encourage you to serve in a role on Sundays or preparing us for what we do on Sundays. We encourage you to serve that way. For some of you, that means you need to be leading children in 252. Some of you are assisting in first look where our preschoolers are. Maybe it's joining a first impressions team where we shake hands and we give name tags and hugs and pats on the back and encouragement and we open doors and we love people right where they are. Maybe it's helping us prepare this facility. I mean, we got a lot of floors to get ready. We got a lot of potties out there. Have you seen them? Maybe it's helping us get this facility ready. Maybe it's helping us administratively with with copying and stapling and papers and maybe, maybe. And we, we say there is something every single one of us should be involved serving on a Sunday or preparing, helping us prepare for what we do on Sunday. That's the first way we say everyone should serve. Here's the second way. The second way is we encourage you to serve in your small group. And you say, I'm not in a small group yet. I want you to know this. At the end of December, you're going to have an opportunity to sign up to be a part of a new small group. If you're not already in one. And we encourage everyone. Don't just attend your small group. Serve inside your small group. And here's the third way. We ask everyone to serve. We say we must be serving our community. The people we with. All the people we shop with. The people we go to school with. We need to love them all the way to Jesus and we ask everyone to serve so here's what I want to say when it comes to serving on Sundays and preparing for Sundays you can sign up to do that on the back of your connection card when it comes to serving in your group you can do that in your group just go serve with them when it comes to serving in your community you do that just by the way you live go and do that here's the next question What story are you living? What story is your life telling right now? Are you telling by the way that you live, are you telling the story that God has created you for? Or is your life telling a lesser story, a substitute? Is it telling a safer alternative to the adventure that God has actually called you to live? What story are you living? What story is your life telling right now? God had a plan from the very beginning. It was a plan to rescue His creation, to redeem them, to release His goodness and His life and His power to the world that He has created. And we are not just recipients of His actions, receivers of His grace. We are not just readers of His story. God has given us a role to play. And here's my hope for you. Let's leave here and get into his story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for not just remaining in the story that you're writing. For not just remaining close to us as a father. But God, thank you for actually inviting us into your story. For offering us a part to play in your great big story. Thank you that we're not just recipients of your grace, God. We're not just readers of your story, God. But you have offered us a vital, significant role to play in your personal story. And this week, may we be willing to reflect your personality as we love other people around us, may we be willing to reflect your purpose as we talk with others about the story that you are writing. This week, God, may we serve others as we love you. Father, may we allow your love to change the lives of others. May we live like sons of the king and daughters of the king. God, we ask you to give us the wisdom to do what we know we need to do. And God, we ask that you would give us the courage to actually do it. And it is in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, that we pray these things. Amen.